Hello, and welcome to The King Perspective. My name's Chris. I'm a psychotherapist and consultant. On today's show, I'll be taking you all with me on a real deep dive into the intricate world of human behavior and its connection to dynamics within the lifestyle. Today, it's quite an interesting topic, a real fascinating one that touches on the core of our experiences, especially within the lifestyle itself. Rebellion and rejection. Now, have you ever wondered how these two powerful forces shape our actions, our emotions, and even our relationships? Well, hopefully today you're going to be in the right place and enjoy what I'm saying when I cover this. Because there's a lot of these aspects that seems to surround us in the lifestyle. And I'm not just talking about the cultures of brats or anything of that effect or disrespectful behavior. Today, I'm going to be exploring the psychological underpinning of rebellion and the emotional impact of rejection. But I don't really want to stop there either. I'm going to also connect some of the dots here and examine how these dynamics play out, especially within the context of the lifestyle itself. And if you this is the first time you're joining me, you have to understand that our lifestyle is surrounded and embedded and created through consent and trust boundaries and are paramount to almost everything we do. So I really want you to sit here and think about this because I'm going to try to do some things that are very thought provoking. And whether you're a veteran in the lifestyle or you're just simply curious and you're starting your journey, today's discussion is going to offer some more insights into these universal experiences and how they influence the choices we make the way we relate to others, and ultimately the path towards self-discovery and personal growth. And I think that's really quite a big part of everything we're doing, especially once we're inside of the lifestyle itself. So without any further ado here, we're going to jump right in. Now, what's rebellion? Now, rebellion in its various forms, it's a really compelling force that often motivates our behaviors. When we talk about rebellion, we're we're not just discussing acts of defiance. We're delving into the very essence of human autonomy and the desire to challenge the established order. Now, I know that can seem in its own right quite daunting and, and might even be, you know, the essences of where, um, brat type behavior, but I'm really, I'm not speaking about brats brats today because rebellion for many people starts in our early early adolescence and it's ingrained into human nature growing up. We rebel against the things we know because we want to challenge the status quo until we get older and we start to understand things. Now, in my practice as a psychotherapist, I've encountered many individuals who exhibit rebellion in in diverse ways. And the motivations behind these behaviors are truly quite fascinating. Rebellion can be a powerful tool for self-expression, a way to regain a sense of control or even a method of processing past experiences. So if we understand these things and break this, break rebellion down a little bit more beyond the small acts of defiance here or these confrontational expressions of resistance, It's a tiered concept, but at its core, it's about asserting one's identity, our own autonomy. Now, 
Whether it's rebelling against societal norms, as many people do, or challenging authority figures, rebellion is often an expression of our innermost desires and our values, or sometimes the things of somebody else's values and desires that we're looking to challenge and potentially maybe want to influence or change. So what are some of the motivations behind this? What drives rebellious behavior? Now, this is where the psychological aspect comes into play. And in my work, I've seen that rebellion can be motivated by a need for control. When individuals feel they're lost, um, control and other aspects of their lives, they may use rebellion as a means to regain that sense of power. It can also be a way to establish one's own identity, particularly when one feels misunderstood or even unheard. There are vast reasons why people rebel for obviously different, you know, verities on different things that we're encountering throughout our life. And that's okay. So when we look at these things, I want to kind of bring in a couple of cases that highlight this a little bit. And I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but just enough so we to kind of illustrate this concept. Now, for instance, I worked with a veteran who, after years of conforming to military life, regulations, structure, you know, the daily rigors of everything that we encounter, the getting up at the ass crack of dawn to the daily workouts to our tiered eating schedules, found quite a lot of solace and healing in the act of rebellion in a consensual BDSM relationship. Now, this is just a small example of how it can be a tool for personal growth and and healing because by rebelling against the norms this person encountered and the structure and, and everything that they didn't get control over by rebelling against dominance in their private life it gave them a chance to find their own autonomy and have a little bit more of a voice which they didn't have in their professional life in another case, I've seen how rebellion, when unchecked, can lead to unintended consequences. For some, rebellion becomes a self-destructive pattern, and this can manifest in various ways, including substance abuse or healthy relationships, where we're not taking stock of what's going on with us. We're lashing out. We aren't listening to anyone. We're maybe rejecting our families or friends or even our intimate relationships. We're pushing them away because Ultimately, the things that we're facing, we're not ready to confront or heal yet. Now, some of the long-term effects of rebellion are crucial. They're a real crucial aspect here to consider. Now, while rebellion can be a catalyst for positive change, it can also have long-lasting impact on our lives. It's important to recognize that the outcomes of rebellion are not always predictable. Understanding the potential long-term effects is essential to making informed choices about how we express our autonomy and our independence. So I know I've kind of covered a little bit of the definition of rebellion. I've, you know, broke down some of the psychological motivations here and, and even shed light with giving you some examples of some people I'm working with. As we move forward through this show today, I want to start to explain more in a little bit anyway, how these aspects inside of dynamics shape our lives and our relationships. <clears throat> now, if we're talking about rebellion, I'm going to bring in the other side, which is rejection. 
Now, rejection is a powerful and universal human experience. It transcends cultural and societal boundaries. It touches the core of our emotion. It influences our behavior and it shapes our self-concept. When we talk about rejection, we're not merely discussing being turned down or dismissed by someone. We're really diving into the emotional turmoil that it brings. Now, whether it's romantic rejection, a job application denial, or a situation within the lifestyle, or you know, you applied to go to a school and you were got that rejection letter, the essence of rejection lies in the feeling of unaccepted, unwanted, lacking in some way, maybe inadequacy. And it can leave these profound emotional scars that affect us for a long period of time. And I was thinking about this today when I was kind of going over this subject, when I remember when I was younger and I was applying to go to college for the first time. And, you know, you're sending your applications off to schools and, you know, you're getting all these letters back and you're just reading, you know, hey, thank you for your application, but unfortunately you didn't make class of whatever. And... You know, it bothers you for a while until you open that one letter when you're like, oh, wow, I've been accepted to my like ninth tier school. Awesome. You know, I'm going to Rocco School of Typing in, you know, Illinois State Southern. And it's fine. You're okay because they're still offering you stuff, but it's not that, you know, like NYU or it's not Stanford or wherever you really wanted to go. So this emotional impact of rejection is it's truly tiered. It's not just easy to face. It is, there's a lot of moving parts that are surround this. It goes beyond the mere disappointment, often triggering these massive cascade of emotions that we tend to feel. Rejection can evoke intense feelings of sadness and loneliness, anger, and in some cases, even shame. And individuals may question their self-worth and experience a loss of self-esteem and confidence. And I see this quite common when we look at the lifestyle, which is where inside of the lifestyle, we tend to build a lot more rejection resiliency because, and I've talked about this in a previous show, because when we're in negotiation scenes, we're discussing the things we like and don't like and, you know, oh, I like rope. Well, I'm not into rope. Um, if you're into that, you know, uh, it's probably not going to be with me. And so we, we're, we're negotiating back and forth. But when we talk about being rejected maybe by someone we're interested in or, you know, we wanted to go somewhere with somebody and our, you know, our friends couldn't get us a ticket, so we feel left out. Or These emotions can linger and affect various aspects of, the, of our lives from, you know, again, ranging from personal relationships, to especially to our self-image and our decision-making capabilities. And rejection truly is a complex experience. It stirs all of these emotions from the depths of sadness and despair to these flames of anger and frustration, and it's not limited to any one specific context. Now, it's whether it's, like I said before, romantics, romantic rejection or job applications or any of these other situations within the lifestyle, they all remain, the essence here remains the same, the feeling of not being accepted. And we have to question what we're actually feeling and kind of we do this thing in in therapy with my clients where we talk about automatic thoughts and so the situation here is being rejected right i reached out to somebody i've been having some nice conversations with um i asked if they wanted to go out i took a chance put myself out there and they politely declined so that takes me into my thoughts and right away i'm like all right well i've been rejected and so 
I start going the cavalcade in my mind, which then leads me to my emotions. But now that we understand this process, it kind of puts a linchpin in there between my thoughts and my emotions. Well, they rejected me or, you know, they said they weren't interested or didn't want to go any further. That's okay. So maybe it's not me that they're just not interested and that's okay. Maybe we can still be friends. Doesn't make anything wrong with me and I can just move forward. But when we can't put that linchpin in there and stop at the logical aspect and we move into the emotional realm, we tend to go deeper inside of our emotions. Now, the responses to rejection are equally as diverse, reflecting each individual's and how their unique coping mechanisms work. Some people internalize rejection, blaming themselves and questioning their self-worth. The self-blame can lead to a spiral of negative self-talk and emotional distress, compounding an already overwhelming feelings of sadness and inadequacy. And on the other hand, externalizing responses involving projecting anger or frustration or even hurt onto others or the situation itself. It's really important here to recognize that these responses are part of the natural process of coping with rejection, and they can vary significantly from person to person. I'm not saying you should go out there and like start punching walls because, you know, you got turned down for a new car loan. You have to learn better coping strategies, but we can now, as we start to understand how we're responding to, rec uh, to rejection, how we can deal with it. Now, rejection isn't just a one-time event that fades into the past. It's a lasting influence on our behavior. The fear of future rejection can deter a lot of us from pursuing their desires and goals. They might, you know, hesitate to express their authentic selves or engage in some new relationship pursuit or take any risk at all because the lingering impact of the last or past rejection that we faced is still fresh on our mind even years or weeks or months later. This influence on our behavior is a significant factor, and it's often overlooked, but with a profound impact on our lives. It shapes the choices we make, and the opportunities we embrace, and conversely, those we avoid. Now, coping with rejection is a skill that I often discuss with my clients. Now, whether they're veterans that I work with, or that are seeking healing or the individual individuals that come to me navigating the complexity of the lifestyle or their interpersonal relationships or even couples who are working through their relationship or marriage. Constructive coping strategies and mechanisms are essential for weathering any of the emotional turbulence that comes with rejection itself. These strategies can include reframing the experience or seeking support from trusted friends or someone like myself and focusing on personal growth and self-acceptance. And by adopting these coping strategies, we can become, we're not only able to bounce back from rejection, but also use it as a catalyst for our own growth and how we can improve in the future. Now, we need to understand one thing, as hard as this is to hear. Rejection is an inevitable part of life, but it doesn't have to define us. By exploring the depths of its emotional impact and understanding our responses and recognizing how it influences our behavior, we can equip ourselves to cope with rejection constructively. Now, as we move forward, I want to start talking about the bridging these concepts of rebellion and rejection and explore how they interconnect, and particularly in the context of the lifestyle itself. So when we're looking at the rebellion and rejection dichotomy here, these aren't exclusive to mainstream experiences. 
They also find their place within our world, our lifestyle, our BDSM experiences. Now, understanding how these, uh, these concepts influence dynamics is, in this context is truly essential. It's important to recognize that rebellion can manifest in unconventional ways, like the desire to challenge traditional norms and embrace alternative lifestyles. Now, inside of our community, rebellion does on occasion take the form of consensually breaking suicidal taboos, pushing boundaries, all within the framework of trust and consent, as long as we are very clear on that. Right? And sure, we can even go into as far as brat-type behavior. Now, moreover, rejection within our lifestyle is a touch more complex. It's not just about the individual rejection, but as I mentioned before, but also the dynamics within the various relationship. Submissives, for example, may experience rejection in the form of topping from the bottom, where they challenge the dominance authority. Now, this leads to the delicate dance and imbalance of power dynamics of ex emotional exploration. Understanding these nuances is crucial for maintaining a healthy and consensual practice within the BDSM lifestyle. But if that is starting to occur through an act of rebellion, then the dominant needs to question whether or not if they are truly in charge and if the power, uh, if the power dynamic has shifted, if they're allowing it to shift, if they're not dominant or more they're a switch or maybe even if they're submissive. I'm not saying they are, but if somebody starts topping from the bottom, the power balance has changed. Now, in our lifestyle, the concepts of consent and trust and boundaries are paramount. Now, here, I can draw from my area to emphasize this massive significance. Now, we understand that consent, for instance, this becomes a psychological contract that underpins all the activities that take place inside of the lifestyle and that we agree to. <clears throat> it is the cornerstone of the lifestyle, and it emphasizes the importance of informed and voluntary participa participation. Understanding the psychology of consent delves into the intricacies of communication and negotiation and the power of choice. This framework ensures that all of us who are participating in the lifestyle or participating inside of a dynamic are fully aware of their actions and feel empowered in their decisions that they're not being manipulated or coerced. Now, trust becomes another psychological cornerstone, and I talk about this all the time. Because it's truly vital for building and maintaining healthy BDSM relationships. Trust isn't just about the physical safety, but the emotional security that we provide as well. And that goes both ways. It's this psychological assurance that one's boundaries will be respected and one's well-being will be prioritized. The psychology of trust can delve into attachment theory and the role of secure attachment in fostering a safe and fulfilling experience within the lifestyle itself. Now, boundaries, both being physical and psychological, are the central inside of what we do. These become these self-defined lines and parameters for the activities and our relationships. These are lines that we won't cross. And they're not the same as limits. That's completely different. Now, understanding that these boundaries can delve into, and I talked about this on a past show where we got it, I believe a lot of people are mixing up consent and boundaries and they're using interchangeably. They're not. One lies more in the physical realm. And I know I've had some disagreements over this and that's fine. I tend to think I have a better understanding, but I mean, you know, everybody's going to, if you want to extend consent to the point of a, 
you know, I have to have your consent to say hello to you. Well, I can't even ask you for consent because I can't say hello in the first place. I don't want to go off topic. I already talked about that in a previous show. But the lines here for boundaries that define our parameters give us this ability on how things are going to be established, they're communicated, how they're respected, and how much trust and effort we're going to put in. And emphasizing their role in creating the consensual and fulfilling experience that we're seeking inside of our dynamics. Now, drawing from experiences in my practice, especially within the community, I've encountered a myriad of stories that shed light on the complexity of rebellion and rejection. These anecdotes here that I'm sharing provide some of these insights on how individuals navigate these dynamics that they're facing. Now, it's not just about recounting stories. It's about diving into the psychology behind their experiences. What motivates an individual to explore rebellion within the confines of consent and trust? How do they cope with rejection and maintain their self-worth and emotional well-being? Well, the, the reality is when I look at and work with some couples, exploring these parameters where someone is in a position of complete authority and complete control that they're having to make every decision. They're relinquishing that and rebelling against authority when they go to someone or they're going to their partner and they're submitting to their whims and then even fighting back against that control because it's a pre-negotiated scene. Because for the one person, it becomes this act of defiance that allows them to relinquish everything that they're holding on to in their professional life. All of those pressures. They allow them through acting out, through role playing, a way to not have to uh, be in control any longer in a healthy and consensual manner. So how do we get some, you know, ideas for healthier dynamics to maybe guide us along the way? Well, maintaining a healthy dynamic amid rebellion and rejection requires guidance that's both practical and we have to be a little bit psychologically informed. Now, the insights, especially on the psychological side, can be leveraged to provide strategies for open communication and negotiation and our consent. And understanding the psychological, the psychology of the coping mechanism and the resilience that can empower someone to navigate the emotional turbulence that may arise inside of the lifestyle. And we have to understand all of these things that we've talked about, how it's all starts to come together so we can get an understanding of even maybe why we're rebelling in the first place. We have to come to an understanding of, you know, why we're feeling rejection how we can move forward, how we can grow, maybe how we're discussing it with our partner or even having a, a real life discussion with ourselves. So how do we get some strategies here for managing rejection and rebellion in our personal relationships? So it can be particularly challenging to manage rebellion and rejection, especially when they're not something when we're talking about it's pre-negotiated. These emotional experiences can be deeply intertwined with side, especially when the dynamics that love and intimacy and where we feel vulnerability and we're really residing in that realm. Now, from a psychological perspective, it's essential to understand that rebellion in the relationship stems from unmet needs and a desire for autonomy 
and the response to perceived control. And when rebellion emerges, it's an, it becomes an opportunity to explore and address the underlying issues that may be causing the friction in the first place. Now, psychological strategies such as active listening, empathy, and validation can be powerful tools for managing rebellious nature or someone's rebellious tendencies, and especially encouraging open and non-judgmental dialogue fosters an understanding to help our partners navigate the complexities of the rebellion together. Now, rejection, on the other hand, can be a potent force in a personal relationship as it truly taps into our most fundamental need for acceptance and belonging. From a psychological standpoint here, rejection can trigger feelings of abandonment and low self-esteem, especially if we've encountered these in the past, and even depression. And it's crucial to address rejection in relationships with the utmost sensitivity and care. And couples or people that are just starting off in their dynamics can benefit from the understanding the psychology of attachment here and the impact of rejection on someone's emotional well-being. Empathy and support are key to helping partners cope with rejection while maintaining a strong emotional connection. So we have to look at, as well, we have to take stock in ourselves and take some personal responsibility for our own personal growth and self-awareness, and especially as these become the tool to handle these challenges. Now, for personal growth and self-awareness, these are essential to navigating our, reject, our feelings of rejection and rebellion. Now, psychologically, personal growth involves self-reflection, a commitment to change, and a commitment, moreover, to self-improvement. It becomes a journey of self-discovery that can help individuals better understand the roots of the rebellious behaviors, where it began, and their reactions to rejection, why they're feeling that way, where does that stem from, have they been rejected by past relationships, or do they have a history of rejection inside of their family. And by embracing personal growth, individuals can gain insights into their emotional triggers and develop healthier coping mechanisms that are going to support their relationship dynamics for the long term. Now, self-awareness here from a psychological perspective is the ability to recognize one's thoughts, our emotions, and our behavior. And it becomes a critical component of managing rebellion and rejection effectively. Our self-awareness allows us to identify the early signs of rebellion or emotional distress that we're feeling. It can be essentially and especially useful in a personal relationship when we're starting to see some of these emotions surface. It empowers us to express our needs and our emotions in a healthy and constructive manner with even ourselves or our family or in an intimate setting. Also, it helps reduce the likelihood of destructive rebellious behavior or internalizing that pain of rejection. And I know I stress this all the time, and I'm going to be talking about communication here, but effective communication is the really the major point in addressing re uh, rebellion and rejection inside of our relationships. Psychologically, communication involves more than just talking. It's really about active listening and empathy and validation for our partners. Most recently, I was, you know, I was talking to a, my client and as they were telling me about what's going on inside of their relationship, that their other partner didn't feel heard, but then openly admitted that <clears throat> once their partner started talking, what ended up happening was they were cutting their partner off. So if their partner can never finish their thought, even if their partner is going to agree with this person, 
their partner never gets to finish what they're saying and, and be open and, and is able to communicate. Even if what we're saying is supportive of it, sometimes we have to just sit back. And as I told this person, you have to sit back and listen. You may even ask, do you want me just to listen? Or do you want me to offer insight? We have to do these things and talk to our, our partners to make sure that we're not overstepping our bounds here. So through the psychological principle like reflective listening and nonverbal communication, couples can better understand each other's perspectives and their emotions. And moreover, open and honest communication help us navigate these intricacies of rebellion and rejection inside of our dynamics. By discussing these topics openly and without fear, we can work together to find the solutions and maintain a healthy emotional connection no matter who that's with. And the importance of creating an environment where both of us feel heard, validated, reduces the chances, chances of destructive behavior arising from unmet needs or moreover misunderstandings. So how do we effectively navigate all of this? So navigating rejection and rebellion and personal relationships can be more grounded in what I do in psychological principles so some of the advice here can include the importance of setting some clear boundaries, clear expectations, embracing vulnerability, and talking with someone, you know, if you need help. From my perspective, setting boundaries becomes truly a crucial aspect of maintaining healthy relationships because it truly defines the limits of acceptance and behavior and helps partners understand each other's needs, wants, and desires. When we embrace our vulnerability, Although often that can be challenging, and I do understand that, especially for men, and I, I do stress this a lot for men, it's essential for deepening our emotional connections to our partners. Vulnerability is about being open and honest about our feelings and our insecurities and knowing that that's not going to be used against us. So we can always start on something that's small and then work forward to keep building those levels of trust. Encouraging our partners to embrace their vulnerability can create that safe and supportive environment for discussing much more difficult topics like rebellion and rejection without their fear of judgment. So as I kind of wrap this now all together here at the end, I've, you know, kind of discussed all these points and, and brought it up. I know a lot of times when we hear about rebellion in the lifestyle, we automatically go to like brat behavior, but there's other forms of rebellion and these aspects that we need to cover. We need to be able to understand why people are doing them. We need to be able to have conversations about why we're doing them. So I want you to, as I kind of close this and wind this down as I always do, I want you to really kind of think about this and reflect on how rebellion and rejection, for that matter, impact your own life or your own relationship. Have you ever encountered it? And maybe consider the moments when you felt that tug of rebellion or the sting of rejection in your life. How did you cope with these emotions and what strategies have you employed to navigate these challenges? <clears throat> I do want some feedback on this. I know this is, you know, I'm starting to get to the point where I really want to get more audience participation. I really want to hear your thoughts and, and how, if you've ever experienced either one of these things inside of your kink journey, how they've affected you. Um, to leave you with some food for thought, 
how can the psychological principles here that I talked about enhance your personal growth and strengthen your relationship? And on a deeper level, how can you embrace rebellion and rejection as opportunities for self-discovery and resilience? Um, I know it's, it's a lot to chew on. There's a lot here that I'm kind of throwing out at everybody about this thing. Um, if you do follow me on Spotify, you know, or this is your first time listening to me, please uh, like, subscribe, you know, hit me up for five stars so other people can find me, yada, yada, yada. Um, I really appreciate it. It supports everything that I do, um, especially, I, you know, I don't charge for the podcast. So I'm trying to really get the information out to as many people out there. So I want to kind of lead and conclude you all, lead you all with something here, one final thought to think about. In the depths of rebellion and the shadows of rejection, we discover the resilient core of our desires. Embrace the challenge, for within it lies the path to self-discovery and profound connection. Until next time, everybody, be safe and stay tuned.